to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. just finished two weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 5, and in it, Paul here is continuing to defend his ministry against many of those that are in the church of Corinth that have been uh, struggling with him, that have been accepting him, looking at his life, and many have been questioning whether or not God is with them. Now, Paul here is now moving, is trying to give the Corinthians the big picture of what everything is about. The Corinthians had this kind of me identity, you know, that it's all about me. It's all about me attaining things. It's all about me getting what I need. Sounds familiar? Very much kind of like our culture today. And so they were looking at him and seeing all the suffering he was going through, all the struggles, and they in their mind were saying, there's no way that God can be blessing his ministry. Because for them, blessings was, was, was in the fact that they would get more. There would be prosperity. There would be more uh, moving up in society. And so for them, Paul, who was their spiritual father, had become an embarrassment to them. And there had crept into the church those that were trying to diminish Paul's authority over the church by pointing out these things and proclaiming themselves as true apostles and people you ought to listen the Corinthians were very much enthralled by rhetoric and speaking, and so they found themselves drawn to very charismatic-type teachers. Again, does this sound anything like America today? Very much so, right? So there's much that we can learn from a book that's over 1,900 years old. It speaks right to us today. So Paul is giving them, the Corinthians, the big picture. That big picture is this. You might remember, I'm going to repeat it just for those who might not have been here two weeks ago. The big picture is this. God is doing a wonderful, mighty work. Okay, God is doing a beautiful, mighty, wonderful work in reconciling the world to himself. And he's calling us to join him. What a great privilege. And we are ministers of reconciliation just as God has been reconciling the world to himself. Now remember, reconciliation means that God is not counting their sin against them. And he yearns for us to repent and to trust him. Colossians chapter 2, if you're very quick, I'm going to read this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. By the way, this is a passage you ought to underline or highlight in your Bible. It ought to be something you ought to put on an index card and put it where you see it because, to be honest, you and I need this to live a victorious Christian life, this passage of Scripture. He says, Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he says, you who were dead dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together. And that's what's wonderful. Just as Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, he has called us and made us alive, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
And this record of debt, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And that's what we see, is that's the ministry of reconciliation. People need to understand, they do not have to work their way to heaven. They cannot earn it. They need to recognize that that they are enemies of Christ, and they are dead in their sins, and there's nothing that they can do to make themselves alive. That's the message and ministry that Paul had. And he's trying to share to the Corinthians, that ministry that I have is also yours. That message I preach is also yours. And so he's trying to bring their mind and say, you're focusing on the wrong things. You're focusing on things that are creating division and factions and rebellion in the church. Two weeks ago, we learned that we saw Paul's motivation in spreading this message. We saw that in verse 11 of chapter 5, where he says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We know that not only was there a judgment after death, but we ourselves also will be judged by God. And knowing that he's an almighty power of the universe, we are therefore persuaded because one day we'll stand and give an account. He understands that his life is no longer his, but since Christ died for him, he is now obligated and part of him, and he walks in Christ, as in verse 17 gives us that familiar passage that we know. We are therefore a new creature, a new creation, a new person. Points out that we're different The things and the desires and the aspirations that we had before are now changed. We have a new focus, a new purpose. And he gives glory to God by saying that new nature does not come from something from within you, but from God. And we're to share this gift in verse 20 with others. We had ended last week in chapter 5 by sharing from a group called Dare to Share. It's kind of an interesting group. They, they're, they're together to unite uh, teenagers to help them share their faith. And in it, he said, there's three types of brands of duct tape that keep people from sharing this message. I don't know if you remember this, but the first type of duct tape was the, uh, uh, I'm not sure, I, I, I don't know how to, how to give the, minister, or the message of the gospel. And that may be many of you here today. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to do it. There might be some of you that might have the duct tape of fear. Well, I'm afraid what might happen. I might be ridiculed. I might be, not be able to participate in other things or where people will, will isolate me. Or maybe it's just the duct tape of apathy. I think that comes from many of us. Where to be honest, we just really don't care. I got my fire insurance card. I'm not going to hell. But you know what? For anybody else... All right, well, if they're in my immediate family, if they're my friends, maybe. Now, whatever duct tape that is over your mouth, or whatever duct tape that is preventing you from becoming a ministry of reconciliation or giving that ministry, the end result is still the same. It's silence. And what you just heard is the collective voice of God's people as we turn inward and neglect the ministry that Christ has given us. 
And so I gave that two weeks ago, and I pray that you've taken that. I pray the Spirit's been working in your hearts. I pray that He's been challenging you. That's why in two weeks, on February 9th, or is that two? I think that's two weeks, we're going to do a little seminar, a little three hours, to share with you how to get past some of these duct how to rip it off. So our silence is not so deafening, if I could say that. You may say, well, three hours on a Saturday morning? I pray the Holy Spirit will tell you and show you that that's the best three hours that you can spend on a Saturday is learning how to be a minister of reconciliation. For we do not have the luxury of being silent. For God has called us to join him. Father, I pray that you help us to see the importance of this. Lord, I pray that, that it changes our hearts to realize that we have the privilege of being your ambassadors. I pray that your spirit will have free reign this morning as we continue as Paul shares about the ministry of reconciliation. I pray that I would speak words that are edifying. Let me speak only truth. Let us be able to, de- to determine and define what is and what's not. Lord, speak through us. And Lord, stir our hearts. Grab a hold of us. Let us not walk out this morning the same. May your word change us, challenge us, rebuke us, maybe even chastise us. But then we thank you for the grace that will come and like a healing balm, encourage us to join you. We pray this in the name of your son. For the Corinthians, being reconciled to God involves affirming Paul's ministry as God's co-worker and submitting to what Paul tells them. Remember, he's writing this saying, I've sent you a very tough letter. That's the third letter of the Corinthians that we do not have to this day. We don't know what's written in it, only from what we're able to gather from the second letter, or from first, uh, second Corinthians. And you might recall, even though we call it the second Corinthians, there's actually two other letters that we do not have. So Paul wrote, from what we understand, four different letters to the Corinthians. And it was the third one in which Paul was exposing their sin and really condemning them for their attitude. And he says, I know that it was a very sorrowful letter, and he's explaining why it was so sorrowful. And that's what he's doing here in these first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians. So you and I, we don't get a look into that letter, but we do see a glimpse of what's going on. And in here, again, they are not submitting to Paul's authority as, as an apostle and as their spiritual father. Many, many are stirring up that hornet's nest. So Paul is defending his ministry as an apostle by once again calling attention to his faithfulness amid the changing circumstances of his life. Paul's ministry, he says, reflects God's power in spite of human weakness. And so with it, I want to share three points as we look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The first one is in point in verses, the first two verses, where Paul warns them to receive the ministry of reconciliation, not in vain. So he says in verse 1, Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day 
of salvation. In using the phrase working together with him, he's speaking of working together with God, working together with the Lord in that ministry. Paul reminds them that they are God's ambassador. And they are to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. No one can say after they receive the grace of God, no thanks. I think I'll stay home. I think I'll just deal with my own life. That's not why God's grace has been implanted in our hearts. As we have received reconciliation from God, we are to share that reconciliation with others. See, most people do not know that they have a problem with God. They say, me and God, we got a great thing going. I think there's a country song similar to that. But there's no problem. They don't recognize that the Bible says that they're enemies of God. They're disobedient children. That they're the object of God's wrath. The world hates the phrase that God has an, is an enemy with the world. We want to think that God is all love, right? And he is. Yet God's love, just as a parent's love, demands justice. God says that it is appointed on a man once to die, then after this, the judgment. I've heard this many, many times in the past. And for you and I not to be involved in that, and in warning the world, is a very hardened heart. Paul uses uh, is warning them to not to let the grace of God go to waste when he says, working together in him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, don't let that go to waste. He's made you alive, as we saw in Colossians. And he says, you need to do something with it. Paul uses a quote from Isaiah, and I spoke about this a little bit earlier in the quote that Matt read earlier about Israel's future restoration to make a point that that restoration has come to pass through Christ. For Christ now is that light of the world. And it's beginning like a small spark and working its way out. Paul's not concerned with his own plans. He's not trying to defend his ministry, so to speak, because of who he is, but it's because it's God's plan. He's dedicated to God's objective, not his own. Write these verses down if you're not able to turn real quickly. Ephesians 2.10, where he says, Don't receive the grace of God in vain. And you say, what does that mean? Well, God has saved us to work. We don't work to be saved, but he saves us to work. In Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand. When's beforehand? Before the beginning of time, before we were a glimmer, before we were ever conceived, that we should walk in them. Philippians chapter 2, just another uh, book over, another letter, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at that, verses 12 through 13. Paul writes to another church. He says, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So for a Christian to receive the ministry of reconciliation, 
in which we are made right by God through the works of Christ for us to receive it and then to say thank you and then go sit down and just work our life expecting everything to be good is wrong. He says that's in vain. It's like Jesus raising Lazarus up and Lazarus says, thank you, I've got a new lease on life. And then just goes and just sets and becomes a, a couch potato and does nothing with the rest of his life. No. If you were to get a second lease on life, you would be invigorated. You would live it to its fullest. You'd find out that bucket list and you would start knocking those things off. Well, God has a bucket list. He created it before the beginning of time. And he says, I have a work for you to do, Isabel. I have a work for you to do, Rod. I have a work for you, Reggie, Mike. All of you, I have a work for you to do. Don't receive it in vain. Don't let it go to waste. The second thing as we go on in verses 3, that Paul now instructs them about why should the Corinthians honor him. And I can almost imagine as he writes this, this is probably breaking his heart as their spiritual father, as one who has given his sweat and tears and prayers and sacrifice to share with them the word. And he's built them up, and now they'll find himself being uh, rejected by them. This had to be a heavy thing that he had to write. And he says, don't reject me. Honor me. Receive me. He says in verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In verse 3, he makes a declaration. We put no obstacle in anyone's way. We don't want anyone to have a barrier to coming to that ministry of reconciliation. And the second part gives us the reason why. So that no fault may be found with our ministry. In other words, the ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador of God, that mission is so sacred, is so important that I don't put barriers and obstacles. That's why he says, I run my life and I bring my body in subjection so that I may not have run the race in vain. He says, I don't want to prevent people from hearing my word. So Paul is saying, look at me with different eyes. The things that you think are obstacles are not. We've seen this in 1 Corinthians. He wrote something very similar. He says, I'm not trying to put a barrier between you and I. I'm trying to live my life very open, very transparent. And again, in verse 4, he declares that as servants of God, he says, we commend ourselves in every way. And then he proceeds to list his commendations. And for you and I, when we first read that, we think, boy, that seems kind of boastful. Well, the Greek word translated commend there means to show or to prove or to stand with, to hold together and form. So Paul is not boasting about what he's gone through in his life, but he's saying, look at my credentials. Look at me with fresh eyes. And let's look at some of the condemnations or the proof of Paul as a minister of God. He says, we commend ourselves by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger by purity and knowledge and patience and kindness, speaking of the fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, genuine love. Verse 7, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left hand. 
through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters. And yet we're true. Verse 9, we're treated as unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always a rejoicing, treated as poor yet making many rich. As not having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul is saying, look at me differently. They look at that and they say, that's an obstacle for us accepting Paul. And Paul is saying, wait a second. Do you think that I would go through this for no reason? I have no desire to put anything between you and I. I am not trying to offend you. I'm not doing anything to keep you from the being an ambassador that God has called you to do. That would be silly. In what way am I living this life? Who would choose this type of life? But one who sees himself as a servant of someone else. Who sees himself as living not for his own sake, but for the sake of Christ. Paul is telling them that his sufferings are not to be seen as a lack of God's blessing, but as a true mark of a servant of God. And I'm here to tell you that that, as much as that is important for the Corinthians, that's just as important in today's world. For if you were to turn on the TV and watch many of the the services and the preachers and and the teachings that's on TV or go to many churches today, that's not the message you'll hear. For you'll hear a message that says, well, if you are a true servant of God, you will be able to do this. You'll receive double blessings. You will see all these things. That's not what Scripture is. I said several weeks ago that I believe that this may not have been in Paul's mind, but I believe the Spirit was working through that, that Paul is preparing these, this church of Corinth, these Corinthians, for a time of unparalleled persecution. Now they're living in some pretty good times. The Roman Empire is going well. Financially things are going well. The church is growing. There's not much persecution yet. But as we look at this, this is written around 55 to 57 AD. In just a few short years, three to five years, Nero will ascend to the throne. If you've heard this from, from me before, And Nero Nero will begin a persecution upon the Christians that they will not be able to escape. And you've heard just the horrors of Nero. And I just encourage you, for those of you who have your little, you know, don't do it now with your iPads and your phones, but just go to Wikipedia and just type in Nero. And you'll find just some of the things that I would not even uh, announce here that he did. But to the Christians, he put him into the lion's den. He he would pitch him with tar and he would put him on a stake and light him on fire and use them as street pole lights. This was Nero. This was the persecution was coming. For them, life was just a bowl of cherries. Paul is saying, no, to be honest, the life that I'm living, that's the true mark of a Christian. And I say this to you because we in America have had 200 years of blessed peace for the most part. But yet things are changing in America. Things are changing in the world. 
And many times we think of the world, right? Oh, China, Korea, North Korea, excuse me, Iran, Iraq. Yeah, those are where Christians are being, you know, tortured and being persecuted. But let me ask you, we now have an administration in which persecution is going to grow. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God and you choose to live by its tenets, you will now not be allowed to participate in public life in many instances. And those things are not just becoming uh, abnormal, it's becoming the normal. In Canada, it's already considered hate speech to say anything against homosexuality or to say it's a sin or to say it's wrong. We see our chaplains in the military now having to perform uh, things against their own beliefs. Even today, Fox News reported this morning that a Christian pastor, uh, Saeed uh, Abdinini, he has dual citizenship. He was born in Iran, but now lives here in the United States. He went back to uh, Iran uh, to, to uh, uh, do some... Uh, not so much church work, but some other type of work. And he was found there and they imprisoned him. Today we found out that he was imprisoned in in Iran on charges of evangelizing and he was sentenced this morning to eight years in prison. Let me read what it goes on to say. It says, according to the American Center for Law and Justice, he was verbally sentenced in Tehran by Judge uh, uh, Abbasai, known as the Hanging Judge, to eight years in prison, for threatening the national security of Iran through his leadership in Christian house churches. He will serve the time in Iran's notorious Evan prison, known as one of the most brutal. American citizen. And we think, well, yeah, but he went to Iran. Well, understandable. He didn't go there to do house churches by then. By the way, the charges are from him in the early 2000s when he started a house church. The problem that we find here is that the State Department of the United States has been silent. In the past, American citizen was taken. They would be, there would be an outrage. There would be public uh, denouncements. There would be uh, press releases and things of that nature. In this case, it's been silent. Why? Because he stands on the wrong side. So if anything, I would need to prepare you to be an ambassador of God is going to cost you. That's why he says in Matthew, count the cost. The cost is not saying a sinner's prayer and coming down and standing on angel field or coming down and kneeling here. The cost is not just simply saying a prayer and being baptized. The cost is to deny yourself, take up your cross and the instrument of, it, of, 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 of torture and follow him. That's what an ambassador does. That's what Paul is calling the Corinthians to. And I have to share today, that's what God is calling you and I to this morning. So Paul instructs them about why the Corinthians should honor him. Don't look at these as embarrassments and obstacles, but these things mark me as one of God's. And you say, how? How can God's blessing be on there? If, if he was not a, a, an apostle of God, if, if he was really truly of God, would God not spare him? But he did. Because even in the midst of all these, God spared his life. 
in spite of this, Paul was still able to travel the Roman Empire and share the gospel. In spite of all of these things, God's word was magnified and churches were started and lives were changed. Why? Because in Paul's weakness, God was made strong. Amen? That's what we have to look forward to. Let me ask you, are you a Corinthian? Or are you an ambassador of God? Are you ready to count the cost? Are you ready to pay the price? The third point I want to make is in verses 11 through 13, the last three verses, where Paul compares the Corinthians' heart with his. Paul says, we have spoken freely to you. You want to know that I'm not holding anything back. What God has given me, I'm giving to you. He's reconciling the world to himself. And so I spoke freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak this to children. Widen your hearts also. There's a judgment here. There's a warning. It says, you Corinthians, I've spoken freely, but you restricted your hearts. We didn't restrict it. You did it yourself. The Greek word translated restricted here means to be cramped, to be hemmed in, to be crushed. While the Greek word translated wine just simply means to enlarge. What Paul is saying to them, listen, why have you hemmed yourself in? Why are you hurting yourself? I want you to love me as I love you. I want you to accept me as I accept you. I want you to care for me as I care for you. I'm your spiritual father. Why do you and I have this problem? Don't you know that God has reconciled the world in a sense so we both are reconciled so there should be no problem between us? Are there people in your life that you need to be reconciled to? Have you restricted your heart also? Paul says, widen it, enlarge. Let the grace of God come in and let it flow freely. Paul is calling those Corinthians that are still in rebellion against him. As their spiritual children, he desires from them to respond to him in the way that he's responded. I have been free with you. Respond to me in the same way. And together we work as ambassadors of Christ. In other words, this this fight that we're having, it's diminishing the glory of God. It's preventing us from doing what God has called us to. It's keeping us unfocused. The Corinthian selfish, judgmental, and unforgiving attitude was not exhibiting the grace of God in the church and in the world. It was not exhibiting the grace of God's work in their lives. It was creating division in the church. It was fermenting rebellion against authority and tainting the glory of God. This is not the bride of Christ. What's the bride of Christ? Those that have received the reconciliation of God. And God says it should not be so.
And let me tell you, it should not be so in today's church. We are like the Corinthians church so many times. And so I want to end by challenging you. Have you restricted your heart? Or have you widened it? Have you enlarged it? And you say, well, how do I restrict my heart? Well, we restrict our heart when we do not forgive. Has God forgiven us? When we trust in our own works, as the Corinthians were doing, they were reverting back and saying, well, it's got to be all about this. It's not about the work of Christ. It's about me. We restrict our hearts. We hem in our hearts. We crush our hearts when we judge according to the world and to the flesh. And that was what was happening. They were looking at Paul and saying, well, he's not as charismatic as this guy. His life does not exhibit the power and the glory that we want to see in our lives. They were judging according to the world's standards. They were judging according to flesh. Remember in 2 Corinthians, early chapters, Paul is saying, don't be that way. We also restrict our hearts when we harden our hearts towards others. And really we see this in 1 Corinthians, the first letter. This is how they were acting to each other. The church was dysfunctional in every way. And Paul is saying, you're just restricting your heart. You're being hemmed in and it's being crushed. He said, let it not be so. For you cannot do the work of God. How is the church supposed to be salt and light when it restricts its heart? So let's not be a church like that. You say, well, how do I widen my heart? Well, it's very simple. When we forgive as God forgives us. Is that not what he commands us to do? Forgive as I have forgiven you. We enlarge our heart when we trust in the work of Christ. And still trying to earn favor with God, we trust in what Christ has done. And we abandon all things and just live for God's glory. We enlighten our heart when we judge and discern according to God's standards, not by worldly and fleshly ways, but in the ways in which God has shared us through His Word. And we widen our hearts when we have compassion towards others. As Jesus said, He looked upon the people and He had compassion on them. Corinthians could care less. And as ambassadors of Christ, if we do not care, if we have apathy in our hearts, we are judging others not to be of any value. But God says they are my people. Share the news. When we widen our hearts, this will produce a church that glorifies God by being the salt and light in a world, let me tell you, that desperately, that desperately needs reconciliation. Now, will all be reconciled? No, we know that through Scripture. And to be honest, I don't know who is going to be reconciled to God and who is not. And it's not my job to discern that, but to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? That's what God has called us to do. And then to share with them how they can be made right with God. Take your Bibles very quickly. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We read a portion of this verse earlier. But in Philippians chapter 2, as we look at 14 through 16, 
Paul gives this word of challenge, command, of encouragement to that church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, let me end with this verse. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Reflect that back to Isaiah that we read earlier. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, when we come before him and we're judged by him, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Orange Villa, let us not be a church that restricts our heart. But I pray that God will widen and enlarge our, church, our hearts as we become the bastards that God has called us, has appointed us to be. Father, I pray that you do your work. Your word has been taught. It's been read. It's been applied. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit will take each heart and do the work that you've created it to do. And Lord, we pray that we would just glorify you in our lives, in our hearts. I pray that you would enlarge it. May we see that we have a great role to play in your kingdom. And may you glorify yourself through us as we are that salt and light. We pray this in the name of your Son. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.